Happy New Year, Thrive family. Hope that you're doing well so far as we're into the third day of 2021. Hope you had a great time celebrating moving from 2020 into the new year uh, with your with your family and, and whoever you gathered with. Looking forward to all that God has for us in this new year. It is the first Sunday of the new year, first Sunday of 2021, and so glad that you've decided to join us today. couple of things to note for today's service. We will be receiving communion together at the close of the message, so if you don't have those elements ready, uh, go ahead and prepare those. Uh, just you can, you can get some juice or whatever you have handy, some crackers or bread, uh, and at the close of the message today, we'll be breaking bread and sharing communion together as we do on the first Sunday of each month. And then also, right after service, I want to invite you to join us for our After Service Connect on Zoom. Uh, every first Sunday of the month, we just hang out for a little bit on Zoom. Everyone is welcome to join. If you go to thriveglendor.org, there's the, the Zoom link uh, is right there on the homepage. Uh, if you're in the, Thri- the, the online church platform, you can click the link as well. We'll have that available for you. We'd love to see you be a part of that. Uh, we'd just love to see your faces and good time of fellowship and hanging out after service. Well, we just kicked off uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting along with our larger Foursquare family. This is something we do each year. We take the first 21 days of the year and we set them aside for prayer and fasting. If you've not had a chance to sign up for those prayer emails, you can still do that at foursquareprayer.org. There's a daily email that comes out with a couple of passages of scripture and then some prayer points. Great opportunity for us to pray corporately as a church and as a Foursquare church here in the U.S., Uh, as we move into the new year, to set aside time each day to to pray, but then also to set set aside time for fasting. Uh, And if you're not, if you're new to fasting or if you're not familiar with fasting, uh, you can do everything from a full food fast for those 21 days. uh, Or if you just want to fast a meal each day, or if you want to fast from social media. And as I mentioned last week, Whatever it is that you decide to fast, just make sure that it's something that uh, is is focused, uh, that that really is a a point of sacrifice in your life. Uh, And as we do, as we fast, what we're declaring to the Lord is we're going to deny our flesh and we're going to focus on Him. And so we get to do that as a church family, both the Thrive Church and again as the larger Foursquare Church. Uh, And I know we're, we're three days into the 21 days already, but it's not too late to jump in and be a part of that. And uh, we just look forward to what the Lord would speak to us and what we would hear from Him over these next 21 days. Uh, It is absolutely the appropriate way to start a new year, Uh, that we would align our hearts with God, that we would align our hearts with the heart of God and understand what it is is that, that God is speaking to us as individuals, that what He is speaking to us over our, our marriages, over our families, over our homes, over our, 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 our church, uh, what He wants to do in our nation and in our community. Uh, and so we want to align our hearts with the heart of God, recognizing that we're coming out of a very difficult year, coming out of 2020, uh, a lot of great challenges in, in 2020, as we would all agree. And we don't know what 2021 holds, but before we even move into that new year, into this new year, 
that we would stop and say, God, what are you speaking to us? And so today I actually want to speak out of the passage that was part of the reading uh, for yesterday, for the devotion from yesterday's uh, uh, focus on prayer. And it comes out of Romans chapter 12. And I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 if you have, have those handy or the words will be available on the screen uh, as well. We find here the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Uh, this is a, a congregation that's been established in a city that really, for the most part, is not, is not friendly to the gospel. Uh, and Paul is writing to a group of believers about what it means to, to live life in Christ. In fact, he's spent the last number, uh, last few uh, chapters really unpacking what it means uh, to be saved, what God's plan of salvation is, what that means for the, the, for the Jews and for the Gentiles, uh, what it means to be a new creation, to be in Christ, to, to serve Jesus with our lives. He, he's talked about what life in the Spirit looks like and, and what living life according to the Spirit of God looks like. He, he's covered talking about righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God to us and the righteousness that is available to those who would believe in Him. And, and, and he's talked about the availability of salvation to all, to everyone who would believe and confess, that they would believe in their hearts and that they would confess that Jesus raised from the dead and that there's this this ownership in, in a heart level, at a gut level, it says, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for my sins, and I confess with my mouth that God raised Him from the dead. And in fact, in chapter 10 is where Paul talks about when we do those things, when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that we are saved. And so after these number of chapters where he's focused on and really unpacked uh, one of the best examples, in fact, of, in all of Scripture uh, in the New Testament of what it means to be in Christ. He then comes to Romans chapter 12, and that's where I want to read today. We're going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So let's read together. It says this, Therefore, in light of everything Paul's just talked about, in light of what it means to be a, a, a Christian, what it means to give our lives to Christ, he says, therefore, in light of all of that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be able to test and, and approve what God's will is. It's amazing here is that Paul draws this clear distinction between the way of the world and this new way of living in Christ. That there's a way that the world does things, and there's a, there's a way that we as believers, as a part of God's family now, are supposed to to do things. And, and in this passage where he talks about worship, where he talks about how we would offer our lives before the Lord, that, that the critical part in this is that we would stop conforming to the things of 
this world. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to notice that in the world that we live in, it's easy to conform to certain pat- patterns, to, to ways of thinking and, and ways of doing things uh, and ways of behaving that look more like the world than they do what God's called us to be as, as the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus modeled for us in his life a way of doing things differently. The way that he ministered, the way he lived his life was absolutely countercultural. He didn't conform to the pattern of this world, that he really pioneered. He lived a, a radical life for, for the kingdom of God. And he said, Father, I want to do what you've called me to do, that I would do the things that only that you've called me to do and not do the things that are just the norm in this world. And, and so Paul echoes that here, that he said we would, that we would not conform to the pattern of this world. But then he says that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that our minds would be changed, that the way, literally, that the way that we think, that the neural pathways, that the the synapses and the processes of our brains would be rewired so that we could live these lives for, for God. This is kingdom life. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. So I want to back up a little bit. So Paul says, in light of all that God has done for for you, in light of his mercy, in light of his salvation, in light of, uh, of the work that Christ has done to bring about this new life in us, that the response from us would be this, that we would offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God that we would offer our bodies. Now, the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament uh, is not really something that we're culturally familiar with or practically familiar with. In, in fact, there's very little in our culture that, that speaks to the idea of sacrifice. Uh, why this, and part of that, that is the reason we, we choose to fast, is that we give something up that costs us. It's this idea of, of sacrifice. But Paul says that we would offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And let's be real, that can sound a little weird. It can sound a little off. What does that really mean? What Paul is saying here is that we would bring our entire being, our, our, our bodies, our physical being, our intellect, our emotions, our desires, our will, and that we would offer them to the Lord, that we would surrender them to God and say, God, these this, all of this, all of who I am belongs to you. That we would surrender ourselves in the same way that in the Old Testament, that, that the animal that was being sacrificed would be surrendered on the altar as it was sacrificed. That we would bring every part of who we are and we would offer ourselves to the Lord and we would surrender ourselves to him and say, God, I belong to you. I belong to you, that every part of who I am, my physical body, my in- intellect, my emotions, my will, my desires, my relationships, my physical possessions, every part of who I am belongs to you, that we would offer ourselves in that way. Living sacrifices. He says that this is the, the true and proper worship. That when we do this, when we come before the Lord and we offer our lives and we say, God, here I am, every part of who I am, he says this, that this is true and proper worship. And the implication here is that there can be a a, a false and improper way to worship. 
that, that a false worship would be worship that is in words only, that is just, uh, just lip service, but not actual, a surrender, an actual surrender of life. In fact, Jesus, when confronting the Pharisees and confronting the religious institutions of that day, had a lot to say about that. That he would call those out who said, you know, you, you worship me, you, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. That there's a part of you that sounds righteous. There's a part of you that sounds holy, but, but it's not the, the full package. It's not all of who you are. That God's calling us to surrender every part of who we are. That, that true and proper worship involves every one of us who believe in Jesus who've surrendered our lives to him, who've asked him to be our savior, to say, God, here's all of me. And really, it's not something we should only do at the beginning of the year. This is something we should do on a daily basis. That we would start our days going, God, here's all of me. Here's everything I am. I, I lay myself at your feet. I surrender my, my, my will. I surrender every part of who I am at your feet. This full surrender. And let's just be honest, that's not easy to do because I want what I want. I want to do what I want to do. I want to I be independent. I want to have my own thoughts. I want to move in my own directions. And God has given us a capacity to think and to reason. He's given us a will. But the, the, the goal here, as Paul is saying, is that we would bring all of that to him first and say, God, I want to lay my, myself at your feet. I want to surrender myself as a living sacrifice before you. So why start 2021 out with prayer? Because it's in prayer that we really do that best. In fact, Scripture talks about an altar of prayer, establishing an altar of, of prayer, a place where we would go a place where we, we could come and say, God, I'm going to come to this, this altar and I'm going to surrender myself in the altar. Again, in the Old Testament, the, the altar was the place where the sacrifice was brought and it was laid before the priests and the priest would then offer it to the Lord and that fragrance then would then go up to heaven and, and, and the Lord would receive that, that offering. That prayer is an act of sacrifice. Prayer is an act of surrender and that we would come to this altar of prayer and say, God, here's my life. Here's everything that I am. I surrender myself at your feet. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 141 verses one through two. In fact, this is a Psalm of David. He says, he says this, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. David draws this parallel between bringing this, this incense, this sweet-smelling aroma. He says, may my prayer be set before you like incense, and may the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. That in this act of surrender, that there is something pleasing to the Lord. That there's something about us coming before Him, laying our lives, saying, God, here's all that I am. I bring myself to you. I lay myself before you. Have all of me. There's something beautiful about that. There's an incredible connection here between sacrifice and prayer. In fact, it's not just here in Psalm 141. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, and then Revelation chapter 8, verse 5, both of those passages talk about the elders 
being, being before the Lord, worshiping God. And it says that they would bring these bowls filled with incense. And it says in, in, in Revelation 5.8 that that incense is the prayer of the saints. That our prayers before God are like this beautiful incense that we would come before Him and we would offer our prayers as a part of the sacrifice and it's in prayer that God then hears and, and answers those prayers that he's, we both hear from him and, 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 and he hears what's on our hearts as well. See this connection between sacrifice and prayer. Prayer is a point of surrender. Yes, we should absolutely make our requests known. And there's tons of passages, there's a lot of places in Scripture that we can turn to and say, God... Where, where, where we can turn to and hear uh, the writers of Scripture saying, Lord, I bring my request before you. Paul writes about this, that we would make these requests known before the Lord. Hebrews says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. But before we get to the requesting part, we have to stop. We have to first humble and surrender ourselves. That we would first stop and say, God, before I ask for what I want or what I need, would you check me? Would you search my heart? God, would you expose anything in my life, anything that is off, anything that is wayward, anything that is not of you? God, I want to align myself to who you are, to what your kingdom stands for. I want to align myself to your way of thinking. In fact, we just got done spending a whole year asking that question, who is God? looking at scripture and trying to understand the ways and the nature and the character and the mission of God, not just so that it would be information, but that we would be able to align our lives to the way that God calls us to live and be in this world, that we would reflect him well. And so that our prayer in, in, in a place of surrender would be this, God, search my heart, search my motivations, Search my attitudes, expose anything, any, any biases that I have, any preconceived notions, Lord, any bitterness that has taken root. God, would you search me and would you expose those things? Would you root them out of my life? And, and it's, it, in essence, it's not just like we lie, lay ourselves on an altar. It's almost as if we lay ourselves on an operating table and say, God, would you do surgery inside of me? Would you pull out, would you expose, would you root out what doesn't belong? Asking God this, where am I out of alignment? Where am I out of alignment? Paul finishes that, uh, that passage or those, that thought in, in Romans 12, rather in, in verse 2, he says that, that we would be able to test and approve what God's will is, that we would be able to test and approve what his will is, Versus what our will is, what our desires are. And that when God's will is moving in this direction and my will is moving in that direction, that we would be out of alignment. And that's not good. And the goal here is not simply that we would comply. It's not just that we would say, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? Fine, I'll go do the thing that you've, right? Like a, like a child being told to do a chore. Fine, I'll take the trash out. Don't like it, don't want to do it, but I just, I guess I'll have to do it. And that there would be this kind of rebellious spirit in us. That's not what God is looking for. He's not looking simply for compliance. He's looking for us to be aligned to, he, to who he is. He, that alignment really is the goal. So 
I'm a car guy. I, I love working on my car and I, I have tools. And, and, and here's one of the things I know about my car is that when the wheels are out of alignment, so here's a little analogy, a little illustration for us. When my wheels, when my tires are out of alignment, it does all kinds of weird things to my car. You've probably had this happen on your car. Maybe it's happening on your car right now. Is that when you're driving down the road, when, the, when your wheels are out of alignment and there's all kinds of camber and caster and toe-in and all of these different uh, adjustments that need to be done to a car. But there's a certain specification for a car that says it needs to have this much adjustment in, in the camber, the caster, to be able to move in the right direction. But when the alignment is off and you want to move that direction, what ended up happening is the car fights you and wants to go in that direction. And you feel it when you're driving down the road. It'll pull to one direction or one side, or you hit the brakes and it'll pull to the other side. And uh, you might notice that your tires will wear out prematurely or, or they'll be scrubbing on and, and rubbing off on, on one end and not on the other. And uh, it creates all kinds of issues, all kinds of strain on your car. Uh, it affects gas mileage. It just, it just isn't good for the car. And if, if, if it's out of alignment badly enough, it can actually be dangerous both to you and to other vehicles. And so what you do is you take it to a, an alignment shop and they put it up on a rack and they adjust everything and they measure and they have all of these tools that are able to bring those tires, those wheels into alignment so that when you go down the street, there's no resistance that there is ability to move freely in the direction that you need to go. It's not unlike our lives in Christ. That when I'm out of alignment, when my thinking is out of alignment, when my heart is out of alignment, when my will is out of alignment to the Lord's, what can end up happening is that I feel strained. I feel pulled in one direction. I, I, I realize I need to be moving in this, this direction, but my heart wants to go this way. And it can create all kinds of wear emotionally, all kinds of strain intellectually and physically and relationally in my life. Uh, yes, even physically, that we can feel the stress of that even in our bodies. And, and just like with a car that's badly out of alignment, that can be dangerous for us to be out of alignment with the will of God. See, the best place for us to be is to be aligned to the will of the Father. That's why Paul makes such a big emphasis about this. Why is it important that we would bring ourselves and offer our lives as a living sacrifice, that this would be a part of our worship, that we would be able to test and approve what His will is, that we would realize, God, this is what you're calling me to. This is how you want me to live. This is how you want me to respond. And, and when we come daily before the Lord, it's like taking our car each day to a mechanic and saying, would you align this for me today? Because I hit some bumps in the road yesterday that threw me out. I had some thoughts. I had some attitudes. I had some encounters with people that pushed me in a direction that I don't want to go. God, would you realign my heart? Would you get me back into the place that I need to be so that there's no resistance to moving in the direction that you want me to be? And that's a great way to even check our own hearts. Am I resistant to the things of God in my life? If I am, it's probably because my heart is out of alignment and we need to get alignment. Jesus, when his 
disciples, one of his disciples came to him and said, and asked him to teach them how to pray, Jesus responded by giving them what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is something that was not just designed to be recited. And even though for many of us, we've grown up uh, reciting it, we've memorized it. And I know in some faith traditions, it's, it's a regular part of liturgy is to repeat the Lord's Prayer. And definitely nothing wrong with that. But, it, but the real goal here for Jesus in giving the Lord's Prayer was not just to simply give a prayer that could be recited, but he was teaching them. He was giving them a model or a, a pattern, a framework, if you will, of what prayer should look like and what, what are the components that make up an effective prayer. And so in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, we hear Jesus say this. This then is how you should pray. In, in Luke 11, uh, it, Luke records it as saying, Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We see here the same pattern as we see in Romans chapter 12 with Paul. Jesus gives the instruction as, he, as his disciples have now asked this question, how should we pray? He gives us this model. We start by acknowledging who God is, that he is our father in heaven and that his name is holy and that his kingdom is not the same as this kingdom. Now, Jesus definitely in the Lord's prayer addresses issues like daily bread, that God would provide for us our very sustenance. He talks, he addresses the issue of forgiveness, forgiving both us and then also forgiving others. Such a key principle and a key tenet of our faith in regards to what it means to follow Jesus. He even says that, and ends the prayer saying, would, would you, God, would you lead us not into temptation? Lead us in the right way. Keep, keep the path in front of us clear of any kind of obstruction. But before he gets to any of those practical issues, he addresses this. He says, Lord, your kingdom come. Father, your kingdom come. And then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't say, Father, your will be done in heaven as it is on earth. The picture here is this, that what God has for us hidden in heaven is available to us on earth. That God's kingdom would be established here on earth. That, that what God would want to accomplish would be accomplished. And that this would be a regular part of our prayer, our sacrificial prayer. God, what is your will? You are holy. You are magnificent. You are worthy of praise. There is no other God beside you. And your kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And because of how majestic you are and the eternity of your kingdom, God, I'm praying and asking that your will would be done here on earth in my life, in my home, in my church, in my circumstances. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer of alignment. This is a prayer aligning our hearts to the Lord. It's a prayer that Jesus gives us. It's a, a way of praying that Jesus models for us. It says, we're going to look first 
to the kingdom of God. We're going to seek his kingdom. We acknowledge the sovereignty of God before we move into the issues facing us right now. So often when we start there, when we put God in that rightful place, when we focus on who he is, all of those other things really can fade away and not seem so overwhelming. Jesus not only teaches the disciples how to pray this way, he actually models it for us as well. We find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross. And in that place, he, he goes there with these disciples and he asks them to pray with him. And he, he goes away knowing what lays ahead of him. And he goes before his father and he cries out in agony, knowing what he's about to face, sweating drops of blood. And he says, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. I, I don't my flesh doesn't want to go through with what my assignment is right now. But then he says these words, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, your will be done. And so we have here the perfect example in the life of Jesus, what, what this altar of prayer looks like, that we come to this place and whether that's standing or kneeling or sitting or laying f- flat on your face before the Lord, that we would cry out and say, God, there's things in my life that are difficult. There's things in my life that I don't want to do. There's things that, that I would rather do. But God, at the end of the day, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus creates this pattern for us. He gives us this model. We would say, God, I want to I do what you want me to do. I want to be the person you've called me to be. I want to walk in line with your plan and your purpose for this world, for my life, for everything around me. God, what is your will? I want to discern your will. So Paul, going back to Romans chapter 12, let's bring ourselves, let's offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Let's come before the Lord and say, God, here I am, every part of who I am. On this first Sunday of 2021, over these next few weeks, as we commit ourselves to prayer and fasting, to say, God, here we are. Here we are as Thrive Church. Here I am. Insert your name there. I, here I am. God, here I am. Barry, I'm, I'm coming before you and I'm surrendering myself before you. I'm offering my life as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. May, be, may what I offer be pleasing to you. Lord, I want to be able to test and approve what your will is. Cause me to be a person who surrenders. As we move to communion, it's an important reminder that we would finish by receiving the cup and the bread today. And so if you want to go ahead and prepare those elements encourage you to do that. It's in the garden that we see Jesus wrestling with what lay ahead of him, knowing that his, his blood would be spilled, that his, his body would be broken. It's not something that he looked forward to, but he s- submitted himself to the will of the Father. And Paul was able to write all of those chapters of Romans because Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father that you and I are able to call him Lord and Savior and friend today because of his obedience to the will of the Father. And so Jesus went to the cross, that he shed his blood, that his body was broken on our behalf because of that surrender. 
And I wonder, what is it that God's calling us to? What are the places where he's calling us to surrender our lives, not just to to make life inconvenient or difficult, because that's never what his goal is. That, that, that God has a purpose and a mission. Remember, we're part of the Missio Dei of God, that God's mission continues, that the work that Jesus did at the cross and that the work that he did in raising again continues today as he commissioned the disciples and commissioned us to go into all the world, to be his ambassadors. So what is it that he's asking of you? What is, he, is it he, that he's asking of me? And what are the places in our lives where we would say, you know what, I know God is speaking to my, I know God is calling me, but my flesh doesn't want to do it. My will wants to do what my will wants to do. That we would stop at this moment today and that we would break bread. And in so doing, remember that these are incredible representations of the sacrifice of Jesus. The offering that he gave, his life, his body, surrendered at the cross for you and for me. If you would take the bread and hold it before you, this cracker that I'm holding is, is a whole cracker. Cracker, It's a whole piece. Jesus was a whole person as he went to the cross, but it was in that place that his body was broken, that what was whole was fractured. The will of the Father was that Jesus would go through this incredible agony, but it was a, it was a fulfillment of prophecy that said that by his stripes that we would be healed, that he was broken for us, for our healing, that we would be made whole through the brokenness of Jesus Christ. As we break this bread and as we receive it now, would we remember that Jesus not only has done this for us, but he invites us to participate in his ongoing work in the world. And so, God, we thank you for the body of Christ that was beaten and broken for us. Jesus, that you surrendered your will to the Father so that we would be made whole, so that we would be, could receive healing in our bodies. We receive together this bread with grateful and thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the bread together. The cup is the representation of the blood of Jesus that was shed. Again, the shedding of blood was something that was critical in the sacrificial process, that there would be no forgiveness of sin if there was no shedding of blood. So Jesus, again in the Garden of Gethsemane, prays that prayer, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. This, this assignment that you have, God, my flesh doesn't want to go down this road. I know the pain that is in store. And then Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And in so doing, by making that statement and walking in that obedience to the Father, goes to the cross and sheds his blood. And because of the shedding of his blood, we have the forgiveness of sin. We are invited into a new life in Christ, a new life that allows us, it gives us now the opportunity to say, God, I'm putting you first. I'm surrendering my life before you. I want to worship you 
with my whole life in the same way that Jesus did. I want to surrender myself before you. So Jesus, we thank you that you shed your blood on the cross for us. That by the the wounds that you endured and the blood that was shed, Lord, that our sin has go, has been has been removed. That we have received forgiveness and new life. That we are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for what you have done for us, and we receive with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the cup. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue over these next few weeks, I want to encourage you, press into prayer. Take time each day to to come before the Lord, to offer yourself, to say, Lord, I'm, I'm here. I'm surrendering who I am. And each day that we would listen to what he would speak to us, that we would allow him to correct and teach and and expose and modify and heal and do all of the things that he needs to do in our lives. Let's start 2021 off getting ourselves aligned to God and his will for our lives. Church, I love you. Hey, hop onto the Connect call, the Zoom call after service today. We'd love to see you be part of that. Uh, God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next time.